Why did I choose these particular reading? Because it's normally the Emmaus Road or, or the one that um, Andrew read this morning. But I thought, well, it's good to look at the Old Testament and in a similar sort of vein, they were starting something new. Um, so I just thought it would be perhaps a little bit different than, than your, the usual. So this Sunday after Easter is known as Low Sunday. And generally, when you look around a church, you realize why, because everybody goes off after for the, hol- the rest of the holiday. But it really isn't a Low Sunday spiritually, is it? It's, it's a time of moving on. Jesus risen, the Holy Spirit to come, the world is being given a second chance. When considering what to speak about, it seemed appropriate for new beginnings. They were for the disciple, they were for Peter, and they we're looking at the Israelites. For us, Peter and I, uh, this move as we move to Holland on Sea will be the third in six years. So you would think that we were pretty much ready to go, wouldn't you? Uh, having thinned out everything, But no, I'm afraid not. We're having to be really ruthless again. I say that each time. Really evaluating what we need, what we want, and what we always seem to hang on to. My problem is that I hate throwing things away. I can give it to charities, but charities don't want everything you you want to give them these days either, do they? Um, You can advertise furniture and goods, which I've been doing over the period of time. Um, Some things I have thrown away. We had a skip full of stuff, but... There's some things I still cannot part with. The house we lived in before moving to Suffolk was the longest I've ever lived in one place, and that was 14 years. But I still have too much stuff, and we had to look for somewhere where we could actually fit in, I'm afraid. But having a good clear out is good. Even if you're not moving, it's a good thing to do. And it's the same in your spiritual life. You may have done good ministry here, but some of the old ways may now be barriers to Jesus' purpose in this world and in this vicinity. You have to choose what has use and place and purpose. And as you prepare to cross over the Jordan into a promised land, choosing what needs to be altered or moved, choosing what is precious and what stays Choosing what must go, what is good, as it may have been. Some of the choices will be easy. Some of the choices will be difficult. And as a church, when things are happening, things are changing, some people will approve and some people won't. Here at Burlington, you've been teaching on how to become community. And you've heard uh, uh, there's been initiated programs over the last particular uh, 12 months, which have been brilliant. But there may be many that are still standing on the sidelines, letting others get on with the Lord's work. I know not everyone has a calling within the church itself. There are others who do outside work in the community, town pastor, youth for Christ, and all the other things that we hear that are going on, particularly in Ipswich. For the disciples, continuing the work meant moving away from their comfort zone. It meant moving from places that had done good ministry, It meant often moving for a place where they'd felt welcomed. Continuing the work meant moving into uncertainty, moving on down to the road to the faces they didn't know into situations they couldn't possibly imagine. For the Israelites, they had 40 years of wandering and were now at last prepared to take over the promised land that was promised to them 40 years earlier. At last for them, the time was right and they obeyed God when he said, I've shown you, step out, do it, 
and then the waters, the healings will come, the lost will be saved, you'll be enriched, you will appreciate the new things I'm doing. You can't discover new oceans until you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. So imagine you are now on the edge of the promised land. Will you have the courage to say, give me this land, give me souls, renew us, your kingdom come? Or will you spend your time wandering around aimlessly as the Israelites had done? If you are ready, stand back and see the waters part. Embrace the new, throw out the old, so to speak. This process will be challenging and God may still continue to ask you to make choices about the things that need throwing out as he brings in the new. In our reading, the Israelites were also to move on with a new leader, Joshua, someone with courage and enthusiasm. And don't we all know, surely somebody like that, somebody who every time you meet them, they enthuse you. But despite the Israelites having had a leader like that in Moses, the original people never, ever saw the promised land. Now let's ask why. Why did that not happen? What was the sin that kept Israel out of the land of Canaan for 40 years? It was unbelief. They could have entered it, but unbelief time and time again stopped them. Now Moses had gone, and they have a new leader, and they are all ready to have a go at last. It's not psychobabble from a modern-day marketing or a spin guru. There's a strong emphasis in Scripture that attitude, faith, and doubt affects what God can do through you. What he wants to do is great things. But if you're easily doubt or you're easily defeated, you won't experience all that he wants for you. Okay, just like the Israelites, he won't abandon you either, but it won't be the same. You won't get plan A type to speak. In Exodus, the word that keeps cropping up for their wanderings was milling around. But in the book of Joshua, it's different. The word is crossing over. There are moments which we stand juddering, perhaps, on the edge of the Jordan, knowing that before us is the rushing water, the fortress city of Jericho, chariots of iron, and even giants in the land. Maybe you're scared to move on, because holding on to the familiar feels safe, doesn't it? It's like when you're learning to swim, you know, as long as you can touch the side, you're okay. God wants to help you become crossover people, People who are willing to grow and expand and claiming new territory, inheriting the future he has in store. This generation of Israelites, they're full of faith now, eager to obey, not like the previous generation, they'd completely died out, all apart from Joshua and Caleb, because God had promised them they would lead the people into the promised land. So when the Lord said, go, step out, take it, take the land, they're ready at long last. They're ready to follow Joshua, the man of God's choosing. It reminds us of Jesus. When Jesus wanted disciples, he did the choosing, didn't he? And it's a good job he did, because I'm sure none of us would have chosen the 12 that he chose. Um, Many today still think that he doesn't choose the best people. And I think many of us would look round and think that we could do a better job at picking someone to do whatever's happening around us. And that can be especially true if he decides to pick you. 
If it means making big changes, would you be like Moses and suggest someone else? I'm not very good at speaking, so go and get so-and-so. All the way through scripture, prophecies begin with a very reluctant response to call. Come on, Jeremiah. Come on, Isaiah. Come on, Jonah. Come on, Moses. It was always, come on, come on. Are we like that? Do God have to keep saying, come on, come on, I want you to be doing this? But instead you say, oh, well, no, thank you very much. It's not really my scene, my skill. I'm not really up to that. I know somebody who is, though. You see, sometimes, often, in our weakness, God will give us the strength. If we go because we think we're good at it, we'll tend to be doing it my way, in in the way that we want it. Anyway, there they are, ready to go, standing on the edge of the Jordan. And wouldn't you have known it? The Jordan River is at its worst. An obstacle. Now, people can sometimes say, well, if there's an obstacle there, it can't be God's will. But you know, everything that needs to be done is not necessarily going to go smoothly. It doesn't mean to say it's not God's will. Because again, you have to be trusting him. And that's why sometimes the obstacles are there. Life puts tragedies and obstacles in our way. And in them, God allows those things to test our faith, to test his provision, to get out of our rut, to develop our spiritual muscles, to see whether we will stumble over them. Obstacles can be either something you stumble over or they can become stepping stones. Which do you? It's a bit like the the glass half full or half empty. You know, do you use the obstacles as stepping stones? It was a terrifying experience to stand at the edge of the Jordan River in flood time. It was the worst possible time there could have been. Joshua saw the vision where they're to go, and God was to provide the way to get there. So let's look at Joshua for a moment. He's ready. The transition for the leadership of Moses to that of Joshua was carefully orchestrated by God. Moses was such an overwhelming figure, and he'd been at job so long and so forcibly, it would be easy for Joshua to feel very intimidated. It's a bit like a a new vicar in a church. You often say, oh, well, so-and-so, we remember so-and-so, and and the church was doing this. It's a very, very daunting task um, to take on, especially stepping in the shoes of somebody who's so brilliant. God, in several steps, is making sure that Joshua fully understands his role and the power and the authority of God in his life. The call to courage, the commissioning of spies, he he was uh, instigator there, and now the actual move into occupied territory. Without this continual confirmation, Joshua would have been powerless before the people. And it's the same today. A leader can be rendered powerless by the people they seek to serve. You have a spirit-filled leader here, And now you have to get behind him 100%, just as the Israelites did with Joshua. All the teaching you've had from Simon about missional community would not have happened without you. Simon couldn't do those things on his own. His job is different. Just as Moses, who had led the Israelites for 40 years through the wilderness and wandering, was going to be different from the job that Joshua had. They are now, once again, on the border of a new territory, a new country, the land of milk and honey. Though they had wandered for 40 years and faced many trials and dangers, Joshua affirms that they have never been this way before. 
Every person in a leadership position who is seeking to lead the people on will experience barriers. And often, as here, a flood of them can happen at times. It's so easy to start to look for ways we can overcome the problems instead of letting God do it for us. For example, they could have said, let's wait for the dry season. Why don't we send swimmers across the swollen current to to anchor guide ropes? We can build rafts to float over the troops at first. Any number of logical plans would have sounded pretty good, really, actually, in the situation they were in. In that case, though, you can easily miss the miracles of God by trusting in what we can do instead of God's seemingly illogical plan to get rid of the water completely. The barrier was not crossed. It disappeared. How far-sighted and grand are the ways of God compared to abilities he has entrusted to man? We can build bridges across a river. God can stop its flow. Do you trust a God like that in your life for your future? God knows when things are in position, and with the Israelites, it was time to go. But why now? Why not wait for a better seasonal time? Because the delay, the reason is God knew that if they delayed this time, it would allow Jericho to regain their courage, because at the moment, they were ready to give in. They could see these million people across the Jordan, and they could see what was happening. Sometimes it may not look like the time or feel like the time or sound like the time, but God knows that we, what we don't know. He knows what the future is. And when he says do it, you can be sure his power will avail you to be able to continue. So why did God choose to make it difficult? The reason I think he chose to lead the people across the Sloan Jordan was precisely to establish the transformation of leadership from Moses to Joshua. There had to be as dramatic an event as Moses had faced in crossing the Red Sea. Um, I think most of you would know about, even if you've only seen it in a film, about the crossing of the Red Sea, that he parted the waters and the people went across. They came through dried up water and they would enter the promised land in a similar fashion this would be the new the day that the new leader was to be confirmed and leadership is not based only on following a vision but on a mental and physical and spiritual preparation readiness in leadership necessitates a space for preparation a place for preparation and a grace in preparation in our reading today the space between the people and the ark the separation of the mundane and the holy was made very specific. We must stand in awe of the presence of God. There must be a distance. Sometimes I think these day and age, it's, it is about God loves and he does, but it's a bit matter of fact that, well, he loves us anyway and, and he's treated more as a, a mate and a buddy rather than the holy, awesome God that he is. When a leader is convinced, he can convince the people. When the leader is led, he can expand the leadership to his followers. When the people have confidence that leader is in touch with God, then they're convinced to follow. And that has shown again over the past year or so, things are happening because you you trust the person that God has put in place for you here at Burlington. This is a new chapter, a new adventure, a new land. 
And since it's all new, God must be the guide. Do you believe that God is calling you on a new journey? Do you believe God is leading you up the new path? Do you believe God has been preparing you to enter in a new way where you have never been before? So what can these new experiences you have to face? There can be new problems to solve, new trials to endure, new temptations to meet, new sorrows to bear, new opportunities to grasp, new tasks to perform, but thankfully new blessings also to enjoy. But first, if you remember the reading, in order to be ready and able, there is something they need to do. Joshua commands the people to purify themselves, to get spiritually ready for what is to come next in verse 5. And it makes sense, doesn't it? He knows what God wants to do, and that's something amazing. He also knows God can only do wonders when we, his people, are pure, when we are holy, when we are in the right attitude before him. Here at Burlington, you are taught, you are encouraged to have a relationship to God, with God, you <clears throat> to be in the right place spiritually. When that happens, the doing will follow as we have seen. Purification has to start with our confession as a sinner. Belief in the Son, Jesus Christ, and a continual cleansing and walking in the power of the Spirit. It's scary to stand before God and ask him to purify you, to show you your sin, where you might be bitter, where you have unforgiveness with others. To be kind, You see, we kind of like our sin. Now, that sounds awful, but if you really think about it, the things that we do that we shouldn't, we've learned to find excuses because we don't want to actually come to that place where God says, this is what you need to be freed of. This is what you are doing that you should not be doing. And that is difficult. If you want God to act in mighty ways in your life and in our world, you'd better stand before him in humility and repentance. You may need to confess an area of sin or release something you're hanging on to. It might be a person you have to let go. Individually, some of you need to make a decision to stand for Jesus to partner with God in becoming free from sin of the past, to step off the edge of the riverbank into the flood waters. Are there things in your life God is begging you to give up for him? Are there places where God wants you to risk trusting him? Then ask for forgiveness, because that is where the journey to the promised land begins. Today I proclaim to you God's promise. He will set you free. He will first cross ahead of you as the ark went first in this case. He will also walk moment by moment by your side. Because it said in Joshua 3.11, behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passes over before you into Jordan. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of the whole earth will precede you into the Jordan. So when the purification is done, the ark had to lead the way. The priests had to carry it, but the ark was never to touch the water. There had to be this space. Don't come near it. Don't touch it. Nothing was to damage its sacred contents. So God's ready to open the water so they can cross the Jordan. Joshua 3.3 3 says that when they saw the ark begin to move, 
they were to move out from their positions or forsake their place. In other words, they were to leave the place where they were to follow it. God is moving, God is stirring us onwards, but can we grow so accustomed to our present circumstances we don't want to change anything? We don't want to move from what we're doing or um, our place in in, in this church or on the outside. We are prone to hang on to the familiar because it's the control. What we know is good because what we know we can control to some degree. And nothing will happen until you're willing to put your feet in the water. It's called faith. If God is speaking, you must trust him to do what he says. If you want the waters cut off, you must believe that if you put your feet in the water, it will happen. Maybe some of you know people who are standing on the edge of the Jordan. They're scared. They're worried. They might even be hurting. And one thing is for certain, they need someone to be the Ark of the Covenant of God for them, to lead them across the waters. Will you be God's presence in their life so that they may roll back the waters? Will you encourage them to face their fears and then lead them through the river? Maybe you're the one who's standing on the banks of a river. Are you afraid? Are you worried? Have you been hurt? Pray for God to lead you through the waters to the land of promise on the other side. So let's just consider this River Jordan again. It's normally a narrow river. Okay, It would be no problem to cross at any other time of the year. But in spring, it flooded its banks and it could be 100 feet deep and a mile wide. Okay, So wouldn't it be sensible to wait? I mean, it just, just doesn't make sense. But God's timing is critical. We have the full measure of God's power working at that time. God's timing in things and pe- for people are perfectly positioned. And I'll bet one thing, when it says find those people to carry the ark, I bet they weren't falling over each other to carry it that day. Other times, they oh, I'll do it, I'll do it. But let's face it, it was pretty scary. Joshua tells the priest to go and stand in holding the ark of the covenant. Um, So let's think about that as well, what this whole situation is. This place upstream was 20 miles upstream. Okay. Now, here's where the text gets uh, perhaps a little confusing. Now, did the water flow get cut off 20 miles upstream the moment the priests touched the feet in the water's edge? Okay. Or did God time the cutoff earlier so that when they stepped into the water, it had all stopped? Now, I believe the flow, <coughs> and the way I read it was also, I believe the flow started to get cut off once they stepped into the water. Halfway through verse 15, it says, but as soon as the feet of the priest was carrying the ark, touched the water on the river's edge, the water began piling up in a town upstream called Adam. Right, some of you are thinking, so well, what what does that matter, whether it's when it stopped or why it stopped? But I think it does, you see. Here is what's fascinating and the consistency of how God works even today. If I'm right, then those priests stood on the edge of a river for quite a time before they saw anything happening. There's over a million people there standing on the banks of the river watching this dangerous activity without seeing anything happen for a while. There they are, new leader, Joshua. He said the river would stop. You've believed it, but mm, so far, well, actually, nothing's happening. So why am I making a big deal about this? 
because we always expect the miraculous to be instantaneous. And sometimes it is, yet more often I think it happens in our life the way it happened with the priests and the Israelites. We may have to wait. We may have to stand in the water, fighting the current, believing the promise, and then see the miracle. Maybe God does it to test our faith. Maybe he does it to prove his faithfulness and his presence prior to the miracle. Maybe he does it to teach us how to be strong in the current. And maybe he does it just because he works on a different agenda than we do. But here is the key to the promise. He always comes through. The Israelites would have seen a gradual miracle that day. And what a joy it must have been for God. When you think about it, 40 years of wandering because they couldn't, they hadn't, they're too scared to do it or they, couldn't, they did their own thing or whatever. And now at last, this new generation, one who believes in him, didn't falter. They didn't have to debate it. When God said move, they moved. They were secure in the power of God. They knew God would take care of his part if they took care of theirs. The test at the Jordan was the graduation ceremony for Joshua as well, remember. But a miracle was necessary to convince the people that miracles had not stopped and that God would keep his word to deliver the land into their hands. All the tribes that presently occupied the land would be rolled back as easily as the Jordan. And this is why it had to happen. Those on the other side could see what was happening. They could see that a miracle was taking place. Wouldn't that put the fear of God into anybody if they really see the power of God working? And that was important. Verse 13 said, as soon as the priests have set their feet in the water, things will happen. The waters flowing above will start to heap up. You see, the water didn't stop flowing. It stopped flowing below them. It was still there, but it was just piled up. And what faith that must have been required by the priest to step off into that water. They were asked to step one foot in front of the other. Unless we have leaders like that, we too, and and us too, have to be willing to step out in faith and get our feet wet with them. We're not likely to make much progress in crossover times if we don't. In the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus 14 and 15, Moses lifted his rod But when the Israelites crossed the Jordan, it was not the obedient arm of the leader, but the obedient feet of the people. And that is where the difference is today. It's the obedient feet of the people that get things done. I imagine that Joshua was the first to cross the river. The ark went first, the priest, and then he would go first. He was not meant to hold back, stay with the priest that would hold back the water. That wasn't his job. The responsibility was given to others. The job of the leader is to lead the troops across and be ready to rescue the land. If it becomes your task to stand in the middle of an empty river with your backs to the wall while everyone else is passing by, know how important it is to stand your ground. The Bible says the priests stood firm, no wavering, no doubting. Had they panicked and fled, they would never have made it to the other shore and neither would everybody else. They'd have been swept away like matchsticks. Standing and waiting are as essential to winning the battle as marching and fighting. If that is what God commissioned you to do, he may even be wanting someone else to do your job that you're doing now in the new scheme of things. You don't always be praying, what do you want me to do, Lord? 
but you need to be praying, do you want me to move for someone else? Or do you want me to be doing something different that isn't quite so easy, isn't quite so straightforward, and is going to be pretty scary? We have to be open about what God wants to do and how he wants to do it. The first ones in the river were the last ones out. The waters were controlled by their willingness to obey, and they stood their ground and won it. And when they were all safe, what did they do? They had to place markers or stones in the ground so they never go back. The milestones led by the Israelites were just for the present. Milestones would also encourage those who were struggling in the future. And that's why I mentioned the children's talk about making things to the memories and experiences that might encourage those that are coming along in the future. And it will encourage them, even when you're gone, to know how God worked in your life, what strength he did, what he did for you. And if you make those memories into your family, they can be really powerful in the future. God has chosen you to be here in this place here today. You can do whatever God calls you to do because God can give you the power through his spirit. And here's the challenge for you today. Will you take the risk to cross the river? I have a strong sense that many of you here are at a critical decision point and also corporately and individually. I know many of you need to make a decision to stand for Jesus, to partner with God in becoming free from the sins of the past, to step off the edge of the river into the flood water. Maybe there are places in your life that God is begging you to give up. There are places where God wants you to risk trusting him. Today I proclaim to you God's promise. He will set you free. It doesn't matter what your past is. If you're ready to say, I'm going to trust you now. The biggest thing when people ask for forgiveness is that they won't forgive themselves. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If you're truly, truly sorry, he will forgive you. And if you are hanging on to something that you haven't been able to forgive yourself for, then you need to get sorted with God. Because he said, I've forgiven you, and you need to believe that. I want to challenge you to make that leap. And it strikes me a big, big part of the Israelites crossing the river that it was a public thing. The surrounding nations witnessed this. They knew the Israelites were coming and would certainly have spies and observers watching very closely on what was going on. And we know this from the last chapter In Joshua, it says the people of Jericho were right on top of what was happening with these Israelites. People watch you. People learn a lot from you. But let's hope it's the right things that they're learning. And when they watch you, let's hope that that is drawing them. When I was a a prison chaplain, there was one man... and. Think of any, any verse you might think of if you're trying to give the gospel to someone, you know? John 3.16, all these kind of things. But this, this prisoner came and he says, I'm going to accept Jesus because he said nobody dared to join them in Acts, that is, when the thousands, you know, the, they were preaching the gospel and he said, no, I dare to join them. The challenge made him come to Christ. And it wouldn't have been a verse any of us, I'm sure, would ever have picked. But the spirit works in the most amazing ways. And he can work through us if we live as we ought to. God used this crossing to make his power known to all people in the land. So I want to challenge you to make the leap publicly. We are a community. This place is full of people who want nothing more than to obey God. 
It's safe for you to share your willingness to make a decision right now. To encourage you, to support you, and to pray for you. I want you to be that crossover person today and enter the promised land. I want you to allow God to speak to you. If you never have, really, even if you've been years here and you think, well, I can't do it, I can't do it, people think I I know the Lord and I've never really made a decision, then I want you to think of the public witness of doing that today. Do you want Jesus Christ, who we praised last week, being risen from the dead in your life, but in a real way, not just a coming to church on a Sunday and going out and forgetting for the rest of the week, really, really leading your life? If you really want that, then I want you publicly to take the courage to stand and do that. I'm going to pray in a moment. And and then also there's the other one. If you think that God has been asking you to do things in this place, or maybe he's been asking you to change jobs or move, move aside, then again, I want you to respond to that, that you're going to be willing, if he wants you to, to do whatever you feel is right. You're in the right church to get all the teaching and support and uh, prayer that can possibly be here. But you have to take the choice. The people of Israel were ready this time. They'd all decided that's where they were going to do. So let's just be quiet. And if you feel in any way there's some response that you need to make to God today, make it public so that you can't go back on it. Okay, let's pray.